The Rural Radio Network presents Midday. And here we head on into the rest of what's left of 2017, which is just a little sliver of what's out there. We're about, what, one-third of the way through the bowl games? <laughs> well, we have bowl season that we celebrate here at KRVN, usually the first of the year, and now this bowl season oh, yeah. that we are celebrating here at the end of the year. So difference between bowls and bowls. <laughs> All right, absolutely. Well, we do know one of the big stories right now, and you say it's even trending on Facebook now, Susan Littlefield. Tell us the lead story you're seeing. Oh, yeah. You know, this morning I always like to check out Twitter and Facebook, see what everybody's talking about. And this morning it was Frozen Pipe. Uh. I know. And not even the song from Frozen came through these guys' heads, I'm sure. Uh, One TV reporter from Iowa who's a broadcaster videotaped making coffee this morning and turning on the water and having nothing. So I talked to a couple producers as well. Mm -hmm. One has not only Frozen Pipes in his house, but frozen lines all the way to his barn. So he's having some serious issues. Boy, that but, you know, it's, it's Mother Nature, it's December, and we've been pretty spoiled the last couple of years. Yeah. Yep. We're, Mother Nature has a way of uh, kind of balancing those ledgers, I think, uh, after a while. Oh, yeah. Huh? Very much so. Yeah. Very much so. And the cold is affecting, as you say, the livestock, too. That's a real concern right now. It is a very big concern. And coming up at 1245, I caught up with... Uh, Joel Derushi, he's with Kansas State University, and we talk about livestock and the cold weather. And, you know, many folks build their lean-tos and their sheds to protect the animals in the winter by building them with the open face to the south and the east. Well, the last couple of days, that's the direction the wind has come in. So it's, it's made for some challenging times for producers. So we'll talk more about that at 1245. Dean Hafta with Water Street Solutions joins us at 1219 with Dewey. And then as we continue our series in the best of 2017, today we look at trade renegotiations led by the Trump administration and how trade has impacted agriculture this year. Okay. Just a few rundowns as we all try to thaw out a little bit. Yeah. And that story that you guys, the uh, the ongoing series that you guys have done wrapping up uh, the uh, past year has been terrific. We'll listen for that. Thanks very much, Susan. No problem. Thank you. And here's Brandon Bennett's, and it is uh, bowls, bowls, and more bowls. More bowls and bowls. The uh, the good news, if you're a Florida State fan, the Seminoles routed Southern Mississippi last night, 42 to 13. But for those of us Missouri Tigers in the room, it was not a good day, yeah. especially after uh, the Tigers. Actually, the first play from scrimmage in the second half was a 79-yard touchdown, and after that, it was all Texas. So, um, never like to see a Texas team win, and especially the University of. But uh, the Tigers lost last night in the Texas Bowl, so essentially it was a home game for the Texas Longhorns. And the AP yesterday, we talked about this, named their male athlete of the year, but they've also named their female athlete of the year. We'll talk about her at 1225. Very good. Thanks, and Bob Brogan has some business. Headline. Well, stocks are a little bit higher, and, and uh, also uh, jobless claims are steady. You know, when I think about bowl games, I think about not only the bowl games, but also bowl games, as in food and uh, all those, those things games. that go in those bowls. <laughs> so that is going to put a jolt into our economy, all those snacks and stuff that folks are going to be eating. Very good. So... Also, uh, another thing hot on the burner, mortgage rates rise. We'll be uh, giving you a little bit of a report on that as well. So those are some of the business-type things going on. All right. Appreciate it, Bob. Thank you. Stay tuned, folks. It's midday straight ahead on the Rural Radio Network.
So this is warmer, you say? Yes. When you compare it to yesterday, yes. <laughs> I'm saying warmer in this context means you just freeze slower. Notice how our standards keep lowering during the month, or the winter months. <laughs> <laughs> I really do. Here is your ag weather this morning brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your Ranky dealer. And the next voice you hear will be that of the guy responsible. <laughs> Paul Perkins. Just the messenger. Up for teens and low 20s right now for temperatures across most of Nebraska. We do have those low and mid-20s in central and east Kansas, at least in the north central and northeast, but temperatures into the upper 20s to low 30s in western Kansas on into areas to the south of I-70. It's as warm as 45 right now in southwest Kansas towards Syracuse and in the southeast corner of Colorado. They're enjoying a nice 55 degrees if you do want to enjoy some nicer weather for today. I'll warm up my car and take off. <laughs> you betcha. But we do have some slightly warmer air in place today. Thanks to a warm front tracking east, temperatures still, though, about 10 to 15 degrees cooler than normal here in Nebraska and northern Kansas. It's going to feel much nicer today with that sunshine and winds that will be lighter out of the northwest behind this front. Colder air returns, though, tonight. Another cold front dipping into the region. Some light snow is possible across North and east Nebraska both tonight into tomorrow. Plenty of clouds around for tomorrow as another front makes its way into the region. Those temperatures will be colder and winds tomorrow more out of the northeast. A bigger blast of cold air. This is the one to watch for that's going to arrive over the New Year's weekend. Daytime highs this weekend for both Saturday and Sunday right around zero. will be just above zero on Saturday and just below zero for Sunday daytime highs. We're not talking morning temperatures. We're talking the actual daytime highs probably staying below zero to the north of Highway 6 in Nebraska. And then just below, uh, just above zero for daytime highs on Sunday as you head farther south in extreme southern Nebraska and northern Kansas. That worst of the cold New Year's Eve when our forecast lows will range from 10 below to 20 below. And even with some lighter winds, our wind chills are going to be pushing 30 below. Could see some light snow with this system Saturday and Saturday night. But because of this air is so much colder, the humidity and moisture supply is not too good, so we won't see too much in the way of snow if it does fall. Temperatures start to moderate by Tuesday through Thursday as the cold air pushes off towards the east. There are changes in our latest long-term forecast to the cooler side. Temperatures in Nebraska and Kansas now forecast to be generally cooler than normal Tuesday through the 10th of January. Looks like the bigger blast of cold air will be farther east. Our precipitation forecast Expects it to be drier than normal the early to middle of next week in Nebraska and Kansas, but a more active period of above-normal precipitation is expected late next week through the 10th. In the latest drought monitor, only the northeast Nebraska panhandle is drought-free. Nearly all of Nebraska experiencing abnormal dryness. The moderate drought in the southern panhandle is now smaller and just includes areas from Kimball to Sydney. All of Kansas experiencing drought. Most of Kansas abnormally dry, but the southwest and south central experiencing moderate to severe drought. Weather factors in the markets are considering include more rain in Argentina and a continued favorable trend in Brazil. A holiday weekend blast of dangerous cold will engulf the plains, Midwest, northwest, and most areas of the Rockies. That frigid weather across the central and eastern U.S. will persist into next week. Only southern Florida expected to be spared from below freezing temperatures. And weekend temperatures may dip below zero as far south as the northern panhandle of Texas. This shows you how far south this cold air is going to be across the area. Wow. 
Yeah. Livestock performance in the Northern Plains expected to be affected from the extreme Arctic cold. It looks to be about the coldest that we've seen in the past three winters in most areas of the northern or in areas of the northern and southern plains and Midwest where there's little snow cover. There could be the potential of wheat damage. In Argentina, periodic rain will offset the periods of heat in Cordoba, Santa Fe, and northern Buenos Aires. The southwest growing areas of Argentina continue to trend drier with periods of hot weather. Crops in central Brazil are benefiting from a favorable pattern of timely rain and seasonal temperatures. After recent heat in southern Brazil, more rain is easing any dryness concerns they may have had. Another chance of rain is predicted early next week. Ag weather brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your ranky dealer. I got to tell you, Paul, you just didn't have much that I wanted to hear in that <laughs> And uh, especially this weekend. Good excuse this weekend to stay inside and just watch football. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you're going to ring in the new year, probably be better to watch other people freeze. Uh, yeah, exactly. Bundle yeah, up yeah. when you are headed out. Exactly. It's a rockin' New Year's Eve, and uh, you'll probably be chipping yourself out of rock-hard ice. If you need weather anytime, it's at krvn.com. to China fall afoul of their new rules. I'm Shaley Peters with a midday check of your ag news here on the Rural Radio Network. Half of U.S. soybeans exported to China this year would not meet Chinese rules for routine delivery in 2018, according to shipping data reviewed by Reuters, signaling new hurdles in the $14 billion a year business. More stringent quality rules, which take effect on January 1, could require additional processing of the U.S. oil seeds at Chinese ports to remove impurities. This could raise costs and reduce sales to the world's largest soybean importer, according to U.S. farmers and traders. Half of the 473 vessel shipments in 2017 and half the total of 27.5 million tons of U.S. soybeans exported to China this year contained more than the 1% of foreign material, exceeding a new standard for speedy delivery, according to USDA data compiled by grain broker McDonald Pels of Global Commodities, LLC. It's going to raise the cost of sending the soybeans to China, said Richard Wilkins, a Delaware farmer and former chairman of the American Soybean Association. Growers often receive a higher price for selling soybeans with 1% or less foreign material, known as number one grade, because importers pay more for better quality. Wilkins said the change would deliver higher-grade soybeans to Chinese buyers without requiring a premium price. They basically want to pay us for number two grade, but they want it to be number one grade, he said. U.S. soybean farmers and export traders fear the deal will hurt incomes already strained by low crop prices brought on by four years of bumper crops. Reducing the impurities to 1% or less could increase U.S. exporters' costs by 15 cents per bushel. An EDNF Man Capital Markets analyst said. And the recent cold snap has livestock producers keeping an extra close eye on their outside livestock. Joel DeRushi, K-State Livestock Specialist, gives some tips on what they can be doing. Generally, in most times, obviously, we protect from the north wind or the northwest wind that comes in through many of our areas. But on uh, cold snaps like now, when it's not only just the temperature's cold, but when we get winds coming out of the different direction, it really limits um, the break from that cold weather that some of our livestock get. And so then we just need to do the best we can to bed and, and provide, you know, a break from that wind or just the 
as comfortable conditions as possible. Darushi says the big concern is if temperatures continue to fluctuate between warmer and the extreme cold. And Wall Street investment firms are once again putting money into farmland. Institutional investors are buying up farmland as farmers who would normally be competing for the land are hanging on to their cash. This investment money can mean different things for local ag communities. Some institutions will purchase land and lease it back to a farmer who can then continue to operate. Brian Wise, the director of acquisitions for U.S. Agriculture of Indiana, says deals like that are standard practice for his company. This is good news for agribusinesses in the area as the farmer's business relationships with those retailers can stay intact. However, if a farmer's financial records and position are less than solid, firms often choose to rent to another producer. Investment firms have been known to make very large purchases of land. Denver-based Farmland Partners Incorporated bought more than 8,600 acres of land in Illinois at a cost of $55.3 million. However, firms own less than 1% of the $2.5 trillion land market in the U.S. Farmers or their families own or control 61% of the $91 million acres in U.S. farms. And that's a midday check of your ag news. I'm Shaley Peters on the Rural Radio Network. It's midday on the Rural Radio Network. Let's check in for sports with Brandon Betts. Good afternoon, Dirk. Well, yesterday's college football schedule began with Florida State's big victory in the Independence Bowl. James Blackman threw for three of his four touchdown passes to Auden Tate in the Seminoles' 42-13 route over Southern Mississippi. Blackman completed 18 of 26 passes for 233 yards to help the Seminoles finish 7-6 and and avoid their first losing season in 41 years. In other bowl action yesterday, Drake Kulik's only carry in the pinstripe bowl was a one-yard touchdown run with 3.09 remaining in the game. That sent Iowa past Boston College 27-20. Kulik's go-ahead touchdown came after the Hawkeyes' defensive end Anthony Nelson hit Darius Wade to cause a fumble that was recovered by Parker Hess at the Eagles' 45-yard line. The Hawkeyes finish 8-5 and and end a five-game bowl losing streak. Eliza Sindelar threw a 38-yard touchdown pass to Anthony Mahongo with 144 remaining to give Purdue a 38-35 victory over Arizona in the Foster Farms Bowl. Sindelar threw for 396 yards and four touchdowns, while Mahongo and Gregory Phillips each provided two touchdown catches and over 100 yards receiving. The Boilermakers squandered a 17-point halftime lead when Khalil Tate threw his fifth touchdown pass with 321 remaining to give the Wildcats the lead. And Shane Bouchille and Sam Ellinger each threw touchdown passes, and freshman running back Daniel Young had 112 total yards as Texas beat the Missouri Tigers 33-16 in the Texas Bowl. Young had 64 yards receiving with a touchdown and added 48 yards on the ground. Meanwhile, Tigers quarterback Drew Locke passed for one of his season lows, 269 yards and just one touchdown. But he also threw an interception and lost a fumble that resulted in a safety. Both teams finished the year at 7-6. and six. First-round draft pick Patrick Mahomes will make his NFL debut at quarterback in the Chiefs' regular season finale against the Denver Broncos this Sunday. The Chiefs locked up the AFC West with a 29-13 victory over the Dolphins last weekend and cannot improve their playoff positioning against the Broncos. Cleveland Browns head coach Hugh Jackson says he has no doubt he'll be back next year despite a 1-30 record over the last two seasons. Jackson says he, quote, unequivocally believes without question, end quote, that owner Jimmy Haslam will keep his word and not fire him following Sunday's finale in Pittsburgh. Haslam announced on December 8th that Jackson will return next year. 
And yesterday, we mentioned that reigning American League Most Valuable Player Jose Altuve was named AP Male Athlete of the Year after he led the Astros to their first ever World Series title. And the AP yesterday also named their Female Athlete of the Year in swimmer Katie Ledecky. Katie earned five gold medals and a silver at this year's World Championships in Budapest, maintaining the upward trajectory she first established as a surprise gold medalist in the 2012 London Olympics. Not bad for a young lady who got her first start in swimming just because she wanted to make some new friends. Her brother was eager to join a local swim team at a pool near their house, so as a six-year-old, young Katie tagged along. And now she's gone on to become the world's best swimmer in the post-Michael Phelps era. That's a look at sports. Stay tuned. More of Midday is just ahead. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Mostly cloudy skies to Nebraska tonight. Lows around 9 above in the east and central to 13 above in the west. I'm Dave Schroeder. National Weather Service forecaster Mark Chenard says a bitterly cold weather in the plains will be pushing eastward. That cold weather isn't going to shift east, so much of the, as we head um, into the next couple days, much of the central and eastern portion of the country will see below normal temperatures. Again, the coldest core, though, will remain in the Great Lakes into the northeast. Chenard says to look for more frigid temperatures over the weekend, so dress appropriately. If you are outdoors, make sure you're dressed in layers and that the skin is covered because it won't take long to start getting frostbite um, in temperatures this cold. With several fires in Nebraska recently, KRVN's Christian Schwartz has some tips for winter fire safety. The Red Cross suggests keeping all potential sources of fuel like paper, clothing, bedding, or rugs at least three feet away from space heaters or fireplaces. Turn off space heaters and make sure any embers in the fireplace are extinguished before going to bed or leaving home. Never use a cooking range or oven to heat your home. Install smoke alarms. At a minimum, put one on every level of the home, inside bedrooms, and outside sleeping areas. And make sure that everyone in the family knows how to get out of every room and how to get out of the home in less than two minutes. I'm Christian Schwartz. The owners of four now-closed stores in White Clay are fighting a steep Nebraska tax bill. The Nebraska Department of Revenue says the stores owe more than $600,000 in taxes and underrepresented nearly $1.7 million in sales during a three-year period. The stores are just outside the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation where alcohol is banned. The owners of the four stores have asked a judge to review the findings. The owners say the review was based on incorrect estimates. A former Omaha City accounting manager is running for a seat in the Nebraska legislature. Scott Winkler of Omaha announced his candidacy for the legislature's 18th district seat, representing a northwestern portion of the city. Winkler is challenging incumbent state senator Brett Lindstrom, who has already filed for re-election. Winkler says he's running to provide equal opportunity for jobs, education, and health care. Winkler is a native of Loomis, Nebraska. Kansas is delaying the launch of a new computer system for issuing driver's licenses. There was a slight delay announced for the CAN license system that was supposed to launch on January 2nd. The announcement comes less than two weeks after a Kansas audit raised questions about whether the system would be ready. Nebraska's Rural Radio Association wishes safe travels for you and yours this holiday season. In the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. The recent cold snap has become a challenge for livestock producers. 
Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. And one area of frustration might be just those simple shelters that have been put up. Normally, they face to the south and the east, which is perfect for winter, except for the recent days where the wind has come out of the southeast. That, according to Joel Derushi, he is a livestock specialist with Kansas State Research and Extension. Well, that's correct. And, I mean, generally in most times, obviously, we protect from the north wind or the northwest wind that comes in through many of our areas. But on uh, cold snaps like now, when it's not only just the temperature is cold, but when we get winds coming out of the different direction, it really limits um, the break from that cold weather that some of our livestock get. And so then we just need to do the best we can to bed and, and provide, you know, a break from that wind or just the, as, as comfortable conditions as possible. Let's start out looking at those animals that are housed outside. Obviously, they're they're very much adaptable to what Mother Nature throws at them, and it doesn't take long for their bodies to get used to the cold if we have an extended cold snap. But the forecast is going to look like a lot of ups and downs. So does that cause some concerns and worries for you? Yeah, the, the ups and downs you mentioned is the biggest concern. You know, animals as well as humans, I mean, we're all in this together. And generally, if we have the same type of weather, we adapt to that over um you know, after we get through the initial uh, shock, of, of, especially in this cold weather, we can generally adapt pretty well to that condition. But then when we start to go up and down in temperature, that's when we, we generally see more uh, stress on the animals to adapt their bodies, which as they undergo more stress, uh, their immunity, uh, their immune system tends to uh, be jeopardized more, and that's when we open them up to more of our uh, different uh, bacteria, viruses, things that their body may not be able to ward off. And so we particularly get in those cycles, and especially when the temperature goes up and down in the presence of moisture. Um, generally, when animals are dry, um, while it's hard on their bodies, when it warms back well up over freezing, and then we go back to zero or even the negative conditions that temperature or wind chill brings, um, when we throw some moisture and get those animals wet, that in particular causes additional stress, and uh, we generally see more sickness come from that type of, of weather pattern on our livestock. What are some things that we can do as livestock producers in being able to maintain that herd health, whether we're talking cattle, sheep, um, livestock that are outside at this point? Yeah, a couple things. One, animals still, it's particularly important that they have a constant and good quality feed supply. You know, especially as some of our cows that have been out on stocks or out grazing some winter pasture, um, when we get a layer of snow over that wall, a lot of times they're able to, to uh, uh, ruffle through that snow and find forage. The reality is their body maintenance needs go up substantially in this cold weather to, to keep warm. And so any of our animals outside, we need to make sure that we're supplying adequate amounts of feed. Uh, then also along with the water, it's very typical depending on the water source and location, uh, that that water source may become frozen over. Um, if our heating elements aren't in working condition from last year, you know, our waters themselves can freeze up. And so we have to pay particular attention to the water supply as well as providing enough constant feed and enough quality feed uh, to maintain the amount of nutrients they need. Especially getting to this time of year, many producers are going to start lambing or particularly calving 
or if they haven't already started, some producers have, they will over the next one to two months. And now we get into a pretty critical time in that last trimester where not only we need to be worried about the nutrient level of the cow, but certainly in that calf as it's finishing its development. Is there any thought process a little different for animals that are in a feedlot? For those in a feedlot, again, in that case, we are supplying them on a daily basis so with their with their daily ration. And generally, due to the numbers, with the waters stay open, but we always have to make sure that we're watching those as well. The biggest concern there is as the temperature goes up and down, is that is that pen surface may thaw and unthaw, causing mud. And so, anytime we get mud, um, obviously that moisture um, comes with. And then as we get the fluctuations, that can really cause us some, some uh, stress on those cattle that are uh, going through those type of cycles. So when it's froze, it's obviously not a good, we can't get in and do a good job of scraping the surface or building mounds when that ground's froze. Hopefully we've been able to do that prior to now, which is very important that we're able to scrape and have those pens drain appropriately. So after we get a snow or some winter moisture that that uh, that moisture can pull off of that surface much easier and not just pool in, in uh, low areas because generally our low areas get developed around the water, the water tanks, the water sources, as well as the feeding areas just due to the, the traffic of, the, of those cattle. And we need to make sure those are in, a, in the proper shape prior to Part of my conversation with Joel Dulruchis, a livestock specialist at Kansas State Research and Extension. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Let's get a review of the livestock futures trade now with Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities. Joe? Yes, uh, pretty uh, good day for livestock once again. Uh, uh, sharply higher in the cattle, uh, uh, at least the lead three months, uh, higher in the feeders and higher in the hogs. Uh, weather had a lot to do with uh, all of them uh, to some extent, and uh, I haven't really heard of any trade taking place in the in the cattle, but uh, sharply higher, triple-digit gains in the first three months, uh, December leading the way. Looked like a lot of short covering uh, taking place there, which has been the case here lately, and they go off the board tomorrow. Uh, cutouts were higher at noon uh, again, but on a rare light trade, the boxes. Uh, like I say, I haven't really heard of any uh, any trade, but expectations are running pretty high. Weight loss, uh, probably uh, the number one reason for a lot of the strength in the, because of the cold. Uh, didn't affect the feeders as much. Uh, they were just moderately higher. And the hogs uh, higher also, but uh, considering uh, the hogs are with the February contracts virtually at a ten dollar premium to uh, current cash or the current index, uh, that uh, kept uh, things a little bit under wraps. But uh, a pretty strong day, and uh, doesn't look like uh, uh, the weather is going to change much. So uh, probably look at a higher start again tomorrow. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Call 800-328-0134. Total cattle slaughter so far this week estimated at 328,000 on a shortened week. That would be 26,000 less than the same week one year ago. Hog slaughter at 1,287,000, and that would be 39,000 less than the same period one year ago. I'm Dewey Nelson. Good afternoon to you on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Bryce Duskia reporting. 
Today we continue the countdown to the new year with the biggest agriculture stories from 2017. When Donald Trump ran for president, he did so with a platform to either renegotiate or pull out of deals such as NAFTA and TPP. NAFTA stands for the North American Free Trade Agreement and TPP stands for the Trans-Pacific Partnership. While running for president, Trump said that he believed TPP and other trade agreements had one major flaw. Currency devaluation and currency manipulation. That's the big weapon. And when I started talking about it a year and a half ago when they were conceived, I said, you got to talk about currency manipulation. Because if you look at China, what they do is they devalue their currency and they kill us. You look at other countries like Japan and others, they devalue their currency and they absolutely kill us. So you have to go out and you have to look at currency manipulation. And as the story goes, Donald Trump was elected president of the United States. Then came the warning from ag industries, politicians, and others. South Dakota Senator John Thune said making changes to NAFTA was a slippery slope as Canada and Mexico are two of the United States' largest trading partners. For all its faults, you know, NAFTA is a trade agreement with our two biggest trading partners with Canada and Mexico, um, both of whom we depend upon for uh, access to their marketplaces. And so I think the, uh, the idea of going in and, and uh, redoing that um, is, uh, I think, is going to be I would be surprised if that happens. On January 22, 2017, the newly sworn-in president announced he'd begin to renegotiate the North American Free Trade Agreement. The next day, President Trump formally withdrew the United States from the Trans-Pacific Partnership, a 12-nation deal that had been negotiated under former President Barack Obama. The president said that he believed bilateral trade agreements are better than regional or multilateral agreements. He also expressed that he does support general trade. While talking with Republican lawmakers, he said, Believe me, we're going to have a lot of trade deals, but they're going to be one-on-one. There won't be a whole big mash pot. As the news of possible changes to the North American Free Trade Agreement began to gain momentum, traders of agricultural commodities took note. Mike Zuzalo from Global Commodity Analytics was one of those analysts who saw the markets taking note of NAFTA headlines. And I think, quite frankly, it has limited the upside potential. Zuzula said that he believes that the use of NAFTA in the political arena has a much deeper purpose. The NAFTA issue, to me, equates very easily to the idea that President Trump wants the wall built because it was a campaign promise. And not only that, but it was a, a campaign promise founded upon the idea that Mexico will need to help pay for it. And I think he sees NAFTA as the path of least resistance to get Mexico to bend to what he needs to get done to fulfill that campaign promise. So unfortunately, NAFTA is a political weapon. NAFTA is now being renegotiated in a series of rounds, and many farm groups are still hoping that there will be a consensus and a new trade deal. The American Farm Bureau Federation, along with the two largest farm groups in Mexico and Canada, are urging NAFTA negotiators to modernize the agreement, not dismantle it. In a joint letter to the U.S., Mexican, and Canadian governments, the farm organizations call NAFTA one of the biggest success stories for agriculture. Renegotiating a $1.2 trillion trade agreement is tough work and takes many rounds, so time will only tell where NAFTA stands. Certainly a big issue to those involved with agriculture, which is why trade renegotiation found its way into the top five biggest stories from 2017. I'm Bryce Duskit reporting for the Rural Radio Network. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. 
With us, John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter, This Week in Grain. We are coming upon the end of a week, a trading month, and a trading year. And the day before that, we have seen a slippage in these soybean prices, and it must have bled over to the corn market, but um, maybe the trade is made aware now of the pending problems in hard red winter wheat country, too. I think that's, you know, maybe keeping things a little bit higher there. I am actually pretty impressed with the way the wheat markets have traded here. Um, you know, still feels like July, new crop prices around 459, 457 in that area are still too cheap. I mean, you're not going to get a lot of pricing at that point. Now, even on the buy side, I think there's, it's pretty attractive to come in and say, hey, you know, if I'm going to take a shot and scoop up some new crop wheat, just commitments, it's not a bad price to do it. On the bean side, it's our first notice day. And, and again, I'm going to sound like a broken record on this, especially in the wheat and the corn markets, but beans now are becoming a more of a supply market as well. And these, these last trading days of the delivery period, so when if you're trading Jan beans, it would be the end of December. If you're trading March corn, it would be Feb- end of February, March wheat, end of February. Those are the times where you're seeing a lot of producers be put to a decision on whether they're going to price or roll product. And the fact of the matter is, the buy side has the edge there. They don't have to buy. They can simply wait, whereas the sell side has to make the decision. They're being pressed uh, whether they're going to store it and pay more money or dump it onto the market at a cheap price, and the buy side knows that. So I look for a better price action as we get into January for beans. Seasonal's kicking a little bit. I think the you know the trade is now, I think, maybe 70,000 contracts to the short side, and this is no place to get bearish. Uh, the market is, uh, I think, now priced in a lot of the Argentinian problems and you know potential problems for Brazil. I think right now if things are pretty rosy in northern Brazil. They could change rather quickly. So shorter term, I think it's about delivery. Longer term, it's about fund money being set up for next year. And like I said, I would not be hitting the sell signal here. I, I think this is a place to be buying and um, you know essentially being patient. Uh, is the market going to rally tomorrow? I doubt it. But uh, as we get into 2018, we could see the markets uh, perform a lot better. Well, we're down to the lowest close in three months here in soybeans on that March contract. So there is, I would guess, uh, some reason for optimism uh, as we trade tomorrow, don't you think? I think there's optimism. I mean, again, I think the, the, the market in corn is, is, you know, just thrown in the towel, so to speak. There's just there's not a lot of reason for the market to go up here. Fund money stays short. And the story has not changed really over the last, two months, three months, just supply trying to sort itself out. Uh, as we get into 2018, it'll be all about potential. I think there's there. All right. John Payne, Senior Market Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to danielsagmarketing.com.